Now, this idea that we started last week in Hebrews chapter 3, started in Hebrews chapter 3, verse 7, and it goes all the way to chapter 4, verse 13. So it's interesting the way they did the chapter divisions, why they just divided the chapter right there. And then even in, in verse 14 of chapter 4 starts the next thought that goes into chapter 15. But the continued thought here that we have is in reference to Psalm 95, and it is a warning. It is a warning to anyone who is hesitating to have full committed trust in the Lord Jesus Christ in faith. Um, I didn't get to say this last week, but I like this. Uh, a man named Cockrell says this, There is no faith that does not lead to obedience. And there is no true obedience that did not come from faith. So if you remember last week, we started talking about the children of Israel in the wilderness. And that's what he's bringing this up as a reference. The harden not your heart. Uh, you know, we know that he was writing to the Jewish, the professed believers. And it seemed like that they were wanting to go back into legalism, go back into the law. And, and you can imagine the pressures that they had of just the fully committed trust and uh, living a life that way. And so they were wanting to slip back in. And so the, the writer of Hebrews is warning them that, no, our it's not faith plus works. It's faith and total trust in the Lord Jesus Christ for our salvation. And, and that's it. Um, now, what happened in the wilderness with the children of Israel? Well, there were some who God was grieved with that never entered into Canaan, remember? And so he said that they will not enter into my rest, meaning Canaan, and so we saw that from Numbers, because of unbelief. And we saw that in chapter, look at chapter 3, verse 19. So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. Now, we pick back up in chapter 4, and we're right in the middle of this subject. But in verse 1, it says, Let us therefore fear, lest a promise being left us of entering into his rest, any of you should seem to come short of it. And let's continue reading until we get to verse 13. For unto us was the gospel preached, as well as unto them, but the word preached did not profit them not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. For we which have believed do enter into rest. As he said, as I have sworn in my wrath, if they shall enter into my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he spake on a certain place of the seventh day on this wise, and God did rest the seventh day from all his works. And in this place again, if they shall enter into my rest. Seeing therefore it remaineth that some must enter therein, and they to whom it was first preached enter not in because of unbelief. Again he limiteth a certain day, saying in David, Today, after so long a time as it is said, Today, if ye will hear his voice, harden not your hearts. For if Jesus, and we're going to talk about that in a minute, but that is actually Joshua, for if Joshua, or Jesus, had given them rest, then would he not afterward have spoken of another day. There remaineth, therefore, a rest to the people of God. 
For he that is entered into his rest, he also has ceased from his own works, as God did from his. Let us labor, therefore, to enter into that rest, lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and opened unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask you, Lord, as we come tonight, to bless your holy word and dear it to our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So, what is at stake is God's rest. Why did the children of Israel, why were they not, why did they not go into Canaan? Why did they not enter into God's rest? It was because of unbelief. Now, we're going to talk about the meaning of rest. The Greek word of rest is kataposis. And the word pause is in that word. So, from the Greek, it just means to pause. It simply means to cease from labor, to cease from any kind of work or action at all. So that's rest, to cease from work. Now, how do we cease from work with God? Well, there's many ways. It means that if there's any self-work or labor that comes with salvation, it ceases. When you enter into God's rest, all labor towards any kind of salvation is rested. You cease to work. Rest also means there's a freedom from whatever worries that you have that disturb you. Uh, whether it's mental or emotional, you're, you are free from worries. Rest also means an inward quietness. There's a composure. There's a peacefulness in God's rest. And God's rest is also to be at peace with God. Not just having the peace of God that he sheds abroad in our hearts by his Holy Spirit. It's a peace that we, we can't explain to others. It's, it's a peace that we don't even understand. But it's generated by God. It's not a natural peace. It's not a peace that everybody has. It's not a peace that anybody can have. It's a peace that is given to us because God gives us that peace through the Holy Spirit. So we have a peace of God. We have a peace with God. But it also means that we are free from guilt and feelings of guilt about your sins being forgiven. We're free from the guilt. We're free from that. We know our sins are forgiven. There's a rest. That's being at rest in God. Being God's rest, entering into God's rest is also a confidence. A confidence in the finished work of Jesus Christ. So we have a confidence in this rest. You know, there's no more, if you think about it, uh, you can cease your labor. There's no more hopping around from religion to religion. Or there's no hopping from philosophy to philosophy. Trying to figure out what the meaning of life is, trying to figure out what it's all about. Why is there this? Why is there that? And having all of these questions and seeking it in all the wrong places. We have ceased from that labor. We, have, we are at rest in Him. And that is God's rest. Now, 
just as Israel never entered into Canaan because of unbelief, so has it been soul after soul since that time that people have missed God's salvation because of unbelief. They've missed God's rest. They've never been at rest. Spurgeon said this, we enter into God's rest through salvation. That's the only way to enter into God's rest. And the only way to be saved is by faith, is belief. What did Israel not do right? They didn't believe. So they never entered God's rest. They never entered that state that I just described to you. But through faith, that is what pleases God. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. So Canaan, as he's referencing this, is a type of the rest which is in God. Canaan is a type. Canaan is a type of the Christian life that we have. Um, you know, many people think that Canaan is a type of heaven. I've never thought of Canaan as a type of heaven because in Canaan, if you remember, they still had idolatry. They had things that were tempting them. They had sin that was present in Canaan. When we enter in the glory, none of those things will be present. There will be no pain, no sorrow. There will be no temptation. There will be no idolatry. But Canaan land was a promise that God had, and they were sojourners as is a type of the Christian life. It's a type of the life which we now live. We live now by the faith of the Son of God who loved us and gave himself for us. And so that is the, that's the type of Canaan. But the rest that we have is now. And that's what he says. So there's four things. Um, I don't know if we'll get through all of them, but we'll try uh, that we see from verses 1 through 13. Four things we need to know about God's rest. That one, it's available now. God's rest is available right now. Second, we enter into this rest by faith. Now. Third, we see God's rest is described. And then fourth, we see the blessings of God's rest. All right, so verse 1 says, Let us therefore fear, lest a promise being left us of entering into his rest, any of you should seem to come short of it. Now, there's another way to kind of uh, render this sentence and something a little bit more uh, grammatically. You could say in other words, Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, so there in the middle, you see, a promise being left us of entering into his rest. So you could say, therefore, while the promise of his rest is still today, it's still open, it's still right now, it's available to anybody, everybody. Let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. That's what it, that's what it says. Therefore, let us let us therefore fear, lest this promise being left to us of his rest, of entering into his rest, any of you should seem to come short of it. Now, this therefore that he's talking about is referring to what he just talked about, Israel's unbelief. That's why the therefore is there, because he had just referenced them as a, an example of unbelief and how they did not enter into God's rest. If you remember the language we saw in Psalm 95 and last week, how their carcasses fell in the wilderness, that God swore in his wrath 
that over and over and over they provoked God with their unbelief, with their murmuring, with their complaining. They were never at peace with God. They were never at peace with God's men. So they always had to uh, combat or they always had to ridicule, or they always had to critique God's men. They, they murmured against God's leadership. They murmured against God. And then, finally, at, you know, they sent 12 spies into the land of Canaan. Ten came back and saying, we can't do this, people. There's just no way. There's giants in this land. And to, and to we're grasshoppers compared to these guys. But two says, the battle is the Lord's. That's what we should do. The battle is God. Let's see how God's going to give us the victory. Let's see how God is going to finish this work. And the, I mean, get excited because we're going to see something we can't do, but we know God can. So let's go. Let's do it. And I, I like that, that one uh, person who, said, who went to another. He was real just cast down. And he says, well, how are you doing, brother? And he goes, well, you know, under the circumstances, I'm doing okay. What are you doing under those circumstances? Get above the circumstances because that's where Christ, Christ is the victory that overcomes. I mean, we have such a victory that we can shout and sing and praise our Lord. It's just as sure. I mean, uh, and just my, the last few days, my heart has exploded with joy for our brother Billy. How the things that he's seen, that he was bought. Brother Billy was purchased by the precious blood of Jesus Christ, the very Son of God. And he will rescue him and redeem him. And he will one day raise from the grave. Oh, Jesus has finished his work. It's done. There's no more work. God rested. God has rested. And that's where we are. We're in God's rest. There's no more work for us to do. There's just standing by and watching God do what he does. <laughs> and I tell you, it's going to be beautiful. It's going to be glorious in our life. There's no mistakes. There's no accidents in our lives. I mean, just think about everything from your life and back. There's not one thing that wasn't orchestrated by God good, what you think might be bad. I can't believe this happened to me. God did it for a reason. Our life is so short. You know, I was uh, talking to someone who was a while back, who was a dear saint, and who was in a lot of pain. And the Lord wasn't telling them yet. They just endured pain pain pain, day after day, pain. And the Lord just, and I talked to them, and I said, you know what? You're going to have a praise meter. Your praise meter will probably go up to 12, where most people's will probably be at 10. Think about that. Think about the, just the victory that is going to be so much sweeter. Think about how that mountain's going to be so much higher when you're in the valley, so low. Oh, our God is good. Our God, 
and we don't understand everything. We, we don't. We, and the Lord will give us glimpses of understanding when we look at our past or look at things that, that happened to us. But we know that God had a reason. And God, it is for his glory and our good. And that's a promise that you have. That's not a promise everybody has. But you have it. And that is in his rest. So we can rest from those things. I mean, life's not trivial now. We know life is short, and life is lived to bring glory to God in any way that I can do it. What were to happen to you if tonight you went home and the police came and arrested you wrongfully and threw you in jail? Would that be the end of your world? Or would you would say, God, what are you doing? I don't know what you're doing, but I know you're going to do something. I'd rather be at home in my bed. I'd rather not be in prison, but Lord, that is faith in the Lord and his promise and his providence and his goodness and his sweetness. I mean, this life is not about our conveniences and the things of of this life, but it's about the Lord and the Lord we are going to see soon and very soon we are going to see the King. Hallelujah. We are going to see the King. Let's live our life to bring glory, to to stop our, just rest. Rest in Him. And ask Him to give us that special grace when we need it. And um, we know that trials and temptations purify our faith and uh, we get patience from those things. And I, I sometimes I'm like, Lord, I know I'm not very patient with pain. I'm not, and I need to get better at it and be a better example and be a better testimony, even in pain. Even if I'm at the hospital and I'm just going through it, and I ask the Lord to forgive me for, for being mean or being upset or being any of those things that just that you're, that lash out in that pain that you just want to, at the relief. You want it to stop. You want that pain to stop and everything starts to disturb you. And, and, and Lord, I was like, Lord, I know I got to work on that. That means in order for that to get better, I'm going to have to go through more pain. It's like, Lord, I'm not looking forward to that. If, if at all possible, please, precious Lord, don't, don't let me go through a lot of pain just so I can learn to be a good testimony in it. And um, But Whatever Lord wants to do, I know he's going to do well. And there will be no complaints by me. But, you know, that is the thrust behind this. And in verse 2, when he says, For unto us was the gospel preached, as well as unto them, but the word preached did not profit them not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. That's where the rubber meets the road. What was Israel's problem back then and even in Jesus' day and even now? Romans chapter 2, what was Paul saying? This is your problem. The problem was is they felt it was good enough to possess the law, possess 
the, the Bible and possess God's and to have their traditions, have the ceremonies, be born after in the nation of Israel. They felt that that was good enough. Now, but it wasn't. Because Paul says, you, it's not enough to possess the law. You've got to obey it. You've got to obey all of the law. I mean, not one thing cannot, you cannot disobey one thing in the law. So they fell short. Remember what, remember what Paul told them in Romans? Those who boast thyself in the law, do you boast that you've broken it? Now, what about the gospel? Now, verse 2, that's, that's what he's getting at. They heard the gospel preached. They heard the word of faith back then in Israel. Just as we all have heard the word of faith, but that is not enough to have just heard it. It's not enough to possess the gospel. You must believe the gospel. It's got to be in your heart. You've got to step out in trust and in faith. Just as the people of Israel, I mean, we saw Joshua and we saw Caleb. They believed the Lord. They knew the battle was the Lord's. They had a faith in God. It gave them a strength. It gave them a confidence in God. The ten, oh, no, this is, this is too big for us, so it can't be done. That's all that they saw. But in verse 2, that's what he says. It was not good enough. Actually, that word preached, it says, did not profit them. And what do you think that word, what do you think that prophet is talking about? What was going to be the prophet for the Israelites if they had believed God? Well, they would have entered into God's rest, right? The physical Canaan. They would have been able to go into God's rest. That would have been the prophet of believing, but they didn't. Now think about this spiritually, with the gospel being preached. That if you do not believe in the gospel, it's no profit. Actually, it condemns you to know it and still not believe it. But what is the profit when you do believe? God's rest. God's rest. The whole subject is about entering into God's rest. And this rest that he's talking about, we're, we're getting ready to see this in verse 3. For we which have believed do enter into rest. Now look at that. It, it's beautiful here. This word enter is present tense. We have entered into God's rest now. Yes, we will physically enter into God's rest one day. And how the glorious hope that we know that one day that the, the night will be or the day will be over and then there'll be no more work to do. God will have no more work for us here on earth and we will fall asleep in the Lord's arms and wake up in glory and see his face. Then we will rest physically. Our feet will be in glory. But God has given you a rest right now an inner glory where he is abiding in you and with you. And that is the, the rest that we have entered into through belief. Because that's what he says in verse 3. We have mixed the gospel with faith, right? In verse 2. And then verse 3 he says, 
for which we, I'm sorry, for we which have believed do enter into rest. As he said, as I have sworn in my wrath, if they shall enter into my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. Just notice a couple things about this rest. God calls it my rest, his rest. Isn't that something? That the gospel is God's too? The gospel is God's. The rest is God's. And then God brings us with the preaching of the gospel and he brings us into his rest. I mean, how, how wonderful is that? And it has been determined from the, the beginning of the earth. The rest that he gives us in Christ is the rest of Jesus Christ's finished work, which were finished before the foundation of the world. This is, the scripture says that he's the lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world. God has done it all. And anyone under the sound of my voice who wants to enter into God's rest can enter into God's rest right now by faith. It has to be through faith. But it must be right now. Now, today, if you hear his voice, harden not your heart as they did in the day of provocation, when they did not believe him and they did not enter in his rest, God in his wrath, he slew them. And their carcasses were in the wilderness. And the promise that was not to them, that never was to them, because they did not believe. They did not believe. So God, in verse 4, it's time to, okay, good, good on time. Verse 4, for he spake in a certain place of the seventh day on this wise, and God did rest the seventh day from all his works. And he's talking about Genesis chapter 2, uh, 1 through 3. And actually, would you keep your fingers here and turn there with me? Genesis chapter 2, verse 1. Through three. So this is the rest that God made with the Sabbath. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished. Actually, look up at verse 31 of chapter 1 of Genesis. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And the evening and the morning were the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God ended his work, which he had made, and he rested on the seventh day from all his works, which he had made. And God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because that in it he had rested from all his work, which God created and made. Now think about this. Now we're, gonna, we're not going to be able to go as deep as, as our mind wants to go about what this really does entail of God resting, because we know that God doesn't get tired. God didn't need to rest. He didn't need, I mean, he doesn't go to sleep. He doesn't get tired. Why did God rest? Because all of the work which he had done, he pronounced good. There was no more labor. God is teaching us to rest when there's no more labor. 
to have. So in faith, we rest in God. We rest in Jesus Christ and his finished work. God pronounced Jesus Christ's work good. It's good. Let us rest. And that's what he has done with his creation. And so back in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 4, For he spake in a certain place, and that means the scriptures, of the seventh day on this wise, and God did rest the seventh day from all his works. And in this place, again, if they shall enter into my rest. Now he's talking about Psalm 95 there. Verse 6, Seeing therefore it remaineth, that some must enter therein, and they to whom it was first preached enter not in because of unbelief. Again, he limiteth a certain day, saying, And David, today, after so long a time, as it is said, Today, if you will hear his voice, harden not your hearts. For if Jesus, or, J or Joshua, now that word there in the Greek is Jesus, Okay, so the Greek means Jesus and Joshua. It means uh, Jehovah's salvation in both instances. Uh, but from the context, and you can read after good men, it is talking about Joshua here. For if Joshua, Jesus, had given them rest, then would he not afterward have spoken of another day. Now he's talking about Joshua led them into Canaan. Had there really been a rest, that wasn't the real rest. Even the people who did go into Canaan, that still was not God's rest. That was, just, that was just a land. That's just land that was promised to them. That's just real estate that they were promised and entered in. But that's not God's real rest. Verse 9, there remaineth therefore a rest to the people of God. So, now remember who he's talking to. The writer of Hebrews is talking to the Jewish, those who are the Jewish people who have professed faith in Jesus Christ. He's saying, look, the richness of your inheritance is not where you physically are standing. It's not physical Jerusalem. It's, it's not the land which you're in. If today, if Israel were to get rid of all their enemies, all of them, and then they were to kick out all the other religions that are there, and it's all theirs all over again, and they are rejoicing and in jubilee, that is still not God's rest. It has nothing to do with the physical promises. So that's what he's saying to them. Look, the promises of God, they're spiritual. It has to do with belief. Not with land, not with this, not with who your dad is or what you do or what you observe or, or the laws that you know and everything. It has nothing to do with those things. It is by faith in Jesus Christ and his finished work. That's the only way to enter in into God's rest. And so that's what he's saying. There remaineth therefore a rest to the people of God. Now back up in verse 7, he limiteth a certain day. Now, we know that, uh, as Paul had said, is, is God done with Israel? No, there is, an, there is a remnant according to the election of grace. But the, the Israelites that God will save, is saving the day and will save, no matter if it's in droves or whatever your view is of that, it will be by grace through faith. 
It won't be any other way. There's no other way to enter into God's rest or be one of God's people. Verse 10, for he that is entered into his rest, he also has ceased from his own works, as God did from his. <laughs> Isn't that wonderful? Jesus went on the cross and he said, it is finished. The work is done. And he is, today he has sat down on the right hand. He has sat down. And we're just waiting for him to return. All the work is done. It's all finished. And we are celebrating in our souls, in our spirit, and what glory the Lord gives us in those times, those dark times, and he just sheds his light in our, in our hearts, and we see the hope that's before us. Oh, he's so good to us. He's so good. Verse 11, here's the admonition. Let us labor, therefore, to enter into that rest. Lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. There's the whole point. That's it. With all of these verses, everything we've talked about, all talking about Canaan, all looking through the Old Testament and seeing the people who murmured against God, murmured against Moses. All of this, here we have in verse 11, let us labor, therefore, to enter into that rest. Once we're in that rest, we do not labor to enter into his rest again. We're already in his rest. But... What work do we work? That's what they asked Jesus. What work should I work? Jesus, to, to, to be saved, to go to heaven, to be righteous. What work is there to work? He said the work of faith. Rest in him. Rest in his finished work, in his finished work alone. Just trust him. And I've said this so many times. I will die and I will go to hell if there was some, anything insufficient with Jesus Christ's work of salvation. I will. Because all my trust is in him. I don't have a backup plan. I've put everything in him. Um, you know, I, you all know I work in computers and systems and Half of my job is thinking about disaster, how to bring systems back online. I mean, the links to which you, you have to think of this uh, plan and this plan and this contingency and this contingency. Um, don't want to give too much away, but I mean, if the state of Kentucky were to blow up, I have a backup plan. <laughs> Even if I'm crawling in the work on my nubs, there's a backup plan to get your all's data back. So I thought about this. You know, my whole, the, the, the thing that I do is I worry about disasters, about having a backup plan. What happens if this disaster happens? And I've got to think of a lot of things that, that could happen. But with Jesus, it's the complete opposite. I've got no backup plan. There's no contingency. If Jesus doesn't save me as he promised he would save me, I'm not going to be saved. And I tell you, I'm not saved. Oh, but there's no need. 
Because you know what? My spirit beareth witness with his spirit that I am the child of God. I know I'm going to glory. I know I'm going to heaven. And he reassures us of our faith, doesn't he? And we start thinking about that. And I was thinking about Thanksgiving and, and about how we have so much to be thankful for. Let's just lift up our God in praise. I, I, I really hope that uh, you may get the opportunity to pray uh, in front of your family or talk to your family and just praise the Lord. You know, especially when God gives you the grace to have a smile on your face when others know you're in pain. There's something calm about them. There's a rest that they have. And just ask the Lord. That's not something you can manufacture. It's not something that you can do. It's, it's against our nature to do it. But he says, let us labor. The work of work is faith. We will stop there, but I want to say this. We obey God because we believe God. There is no obedience, or there is no faith that doesn't have obedience. What did Joshua and Caleb do? They obeyed. Why did they obey? Because they believed. Okay? And there is no obedience to God, true obedience, apart from from the source of that being your faith. Why did Israel not enter into God's rest? Well, they disobeyed God, but that wasn't really, if you think about what was the real reason, it's why they disobeyed God. They didn't believe. They did not believe God. Here pretty soon we're going to read that without faith it is impossible to please him. Because coming to God, we must believe that he is. And that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. What does that mean? That means that when we do not believe God, we don't believe that he is. That's what that means. When we believe God, we believe that he is. Well, you've got to, right? I mean, that makes sense. When we don't believe God for that short second or whatever's happening, you don't. You don't believe he can be a help. You don't believe that, you know, any of those things. Let's think about that. And let's be careful. And that word, he says, let us fear, that means to be watchful. Be careful. Now, we don't have a fear. We, we're resting in God's labor, in God's work of salvation. We're resting in him. We don't have a fear of losing our salvation or not being saved. That fear is let us be watchful. Let us be careful. Lest at any time we have a hardened heart like Israel did of unbelief and we do not enter in his rest. Okay? Those who profess Christ, let's believe in him. Let's believe in him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for the day. Lord, we lift our hearts up tonight and we praise and worship you. Father, for you are so magnificent. You're wonderful. You're so good to us. Father, we pray, Lord, tonight that you just help and heal the hearts. Do your work that only you can do. Father, that your grace, Lord, we, we thank you, Father, for just your love that you shed abroad in our hearts through your Holy Spirit. 
that brings us into a peace, that brings us into an understanding, that brings us into longing to be with you nearer and nearer. Father, we, we love you, and we thank you, Father, for first loving us and saving us, bringing us into your rest, where we have peace of mind, we have peace of heart, we have contentment, we have thankfulness. Father, may we just dwell on these thoughts and these things, and Father, may we just be pleasing to you throughout the remainder of this week. Father, may we be a help to those who are cast down. Father, may we be an encouragement to those, Father. May you just put us in the path of one of your children that may need lifted up or may need help, or put us in the path of someone who's lost, who you're working on, and Father, that needs to come to repentance and faith. We thank you, Father, for all your blessings. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand, please, and we'll just have...